you very much. Uh, everybody hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, okay, very good. So I'm, I'm uh, excited to be here. I'm pleased to get to talk about this exciting election, and uh, this has got to be waiting online for Bill Clinton in the snow. So <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Uh, I want to give everyone an opportunity to ask questions about any aspect of the election that's interesting to you, but I thought I would start by first offering, uh, well, some comments about a question that is probably on everyone's mind, and that's who's going to win. <laughs> and, and then I thought I would also offer some comments on what I think these campaigns might tell us about a potential McCain or a potential Obama administration. And then after that, I'll open it up, open it up to the floor. So who's going to win? Well, I don't really know, but everybody asks. <laughs> so uh, I would much rather be Obama right now than McCain. Let me start from there and offer a few observations that I have about this campaign as to why I think Obama is sitting in a strong position right now, which is really not all that profound if you've been following anything else, but, uh, but also where McCain's opportunities, where McCain's opportunities might be. I'm going to focus on three things in talking about why I think Obama's doing well. I'm going to talk about the polls a little bit. I'm going to talk about the turnout in this early voting. And then I'm uh, going to just mention something about his uh, financial resources as well. And then we'll talk a little bit about, about the Pennsylvania election. So uh, how many of you are, uh, are consumers of these websites that keep track of polls, 538.com or uh, pollster.com or, or RealPolitics? So not all that many of you, actually. The, the favorite of the political science department, I think, is 538.com, which is a new one this year. Pollster.com is very popular there, too. So what these websites do, of course, is to collect the variety of polls that are out there, the many polls that are out there, both the national, the national polls, the national tracking polls, and all of the state polls. And some of them use some fairly sophisticated uh, statistical technology to be able to take advantage of the many surveys and the many cases that we have. Because when you look at all these surveys together, the, uh, the sample in any one of them might not be that large, but when you look at them all together, we have a lot of data points. A lot of people have been surveyed about where they stand on this election. And actually, the polls have been pretty consistent and stable since September, since that point when, I guess, when Lehman Brothers fell uh, right around the time of the first debate and uh, Barack Obama started to move into the lead. And they have really been, been quite, quite stable since then. Uh, both the national polls showing... Showing a, lead for, showing a lead for Obama. I think the national polls are going to start to close a bit. I think we're seeing it a little bit. But most of the closing is coming from the fact that McCain is just too low. And so when you think about it, you know, in some of, these, in some of the aggregations of these polls, McCain is at 43, 42, 41%, and Barack Obama's not going to win 59 to 41 or 48, you know, or 58 to 42. It's just way too much of a spread. So you, you, you would expect to see uh, McCain starting to make some gains. I think the more important number to be watching is to see what's happening with, with uh, Obama, whether or not he stays above 50% throughout most of these national polls. And then, of course, to see which of the state polls they're affecting. So if, if uh, Obama, if McCain is starting to make gains in the national polls, what does that mean in the state polls? And we're not really that sure about that yet whether or not he's just starting to pick up numbers in many of the red states, the traditionally Republic, Republican states, or whether he's really making, making gains in the blue states. And I'll argue later that I think maybe he's making some gains in, in Pennsylvania, but we're not necessarily seeing it, seeing it elsewhere. So uh, now, of course, the polls can change. You know, uh, one thing we saw in 2004 was uh, an external event, the Osama bin Laden uh, videotape that came out right before the election was seen as, as uh, important in turning people towards George Bush at the last minute. I think that was, uh, you know, I think uh, many Democrats are holding their breath on this. I think Americans are holding their breath on this. Uh, but it's a different election. I mean, this is the one area where Obama is clearly weak in the polls relative to John McCain. But the thing is, in 2004, terrorism was across the board ranked as the number one problem for Americans. And this year, it really doesn't even register. So it's not clear that that kind of international event is going to have the same kind of effect. But the polls, the polls can change. Uh, one thing that I think must be somewhat discouraging to the McCain campaign is that the number of undecideds is low. Uh, it's not it maybe, maybe, what do we have now, maybe 5 to 7% still undecided. It's not like there's a huge pool of undecideds. It's not like there's a number that's larger than in any other election of undecideds. And the analysis of undecideds, which is difficult because there aren't that many of them, really doesn't show any particular strong bias one way or the other. I was looking at something this morning, actually, that suggested that there may be as many as half are black and Hispanic. 
and uh, there, there's no clear portrayal in, the, in there that they're going to break one way or the other. On the other hand, of course, the polls could be wrong, which would be just devastating for the polling industry because so many of them are coming out in the same direction right now. Uh, but there are several, several ideas floating around out there about why the polls could be wrong. So one is the idea that people are lying. This is what we, uh, we often hear referred to as the Bradley effect. So particularly around the issue of race, that white voters are hesitant to say they won't vote for the black candidate. So they'd have to be doing this in poll after poll after poll. Uh, but the thing about the Bradley effect is that the empirical evidence for the Bradley effect is very weak, if existent at all. And I mean, I think this is pretty universal. This is pretty uh, universally recognized in the political science literature that the Bradley effect may not have even been there for Bradley, which was this race in California. Uh, what are we talking about? Maybe 30 years ago now, if not, if not longer. But more importantly, it hasn't been found in other statewide races with black candidates. You can't find it in the Harold Ford election in Tennessee last time in 2006. And you really can't find it in the primaries uh, with Barack Obama against Hillary Clinton, where in some cases Barack Obama actually outperformed the polls. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. And there were maybe some other cases where he underperformed the polls, but it's, it's not clear that, that that race was the reason for that. Uh, but there are other reasons the polls could be wrong. Young people are very hard to reach and seem to be quite important in this election. Certainly they were in the primary, and uh, there are a variety of reasons for that. Uh, many of these polls don't use cell phones. Pew does, and Pew is actually the one that keeps coming out finding bigger leads for Obama than many of the others. Uh, young people also don't answer, well, they're not, they don't answer the phone when they're home, they're not home. So there's this very hard to survey, and so pollsters are making all kinds of assumptions where they're, where they're adjusting their sample for the number of young people they think are going to turn out, but they don't have very many young people in their sample to be doing this with. Uh, they could be getting the partisan makeup wrong. There's a, a pretty <coughs> persistent trend towards fewer Republicans uh, over the last four years of the Bush administration, probably even a bit longer than that. And so pollsters have to look at their polls and ask whether or not they've got the right partisan breakdown and sometimes they weight it one way, or, one way or the other, but they're trying to guess here about how many Democrats and Republicans they should really have in their sample. And then, of course, they rely on different likely voter screens, which is just a way of saying that they make different assumptions about who's actually going to turn out to vote. And this is the key thing. It's easy to ask somebody who they're going to vote for. It's much more difficult to find out if they're actually going to get to the polls. Now, this is especially true with groups that Barack Obama is most dependent upon, young voters, probably the least reliable in getting to the polls. Newly registered voters are also very unreliable about getting to the polls. Uh, one thing the Obama campaign has going for them is they got many of them to the polls in the primaries, and the best predictor of whether somebody will vote is whether they've already voted before. And so you become kind of a habitual voter. So that, I mean, they're, they're, But this is a big question here, is whether or not whether or not the polls are capturing the people who will actually vote. And those of you who do look carefully at these things will notice, for example, that Gallup is now releasing three polls each day, and that's because they're, they're releasing them with different assumptions about who the likely voters will actually be. And the more that they loosen up the expectations of likely voters, the more that Obama, the, the bigger the Obama lead becomes in those polls. So this Talk about, uh, talk about who's going to actually show up and turn out takes me to my second point about why I think things look very nice for Barack Obama right now. And that is I, I anticipate an enormous black voter turnout. And I think beyond anything that we have really been prepared to think about, and in particular in the context of my, what I was just saying, I'm not sure the pollsters are comfortable making the kinds of assumptions about black turnout that they may need to make. So what's my evidence for this? It's mostly the early voting, which has just been really just been taking people by surprise. So here's some interesting, uh, here's some things about the early voting. So yesterday, Charlie Crist, the Republican governor of Florida, decided he had to keep the polls open an additional, I want to say two, but I think it's four hours, four hours every day uh, because of the long lines of the early voting. Now, now, on the one hand, I think we have to look at what Charlie Crist just did and, and think that this is a good day for American politics because the politicization of the Florida electoral process in 2000 has been a real stain on the American political system. And so I think Charlie Crist's decision here to do something which is clearly favoring the Obama campaign uh, really is a, is, is a good move and, and, and a good thing to see and, and doesn't necessarily put him in good stead with many of the, uh, many of the state Republicans in, in Florida right now. 
But it's an indication of the fact that they've already had over 2 million people vote in Florida. They had 7.5 million altogether in 2004. Now, they don't, in Florida, they don't keep track of uh, who's voting by race, uh, but the, uh, the images on TV suggest that it's, that it's a lot of uh, African-Americans turning out to vote. The exit surveys that they're doing of them indicate very strong support for Barack Obama among the early voters. In Cayuga County, uh, so that's Cleveland, which is 30% African-American, twice as many people have already voted early as in all of 2004. Okay, and in, in Franklin County, yeah, I had the same reaction. <laughs> and in Franklin County, and I'm going to have the same reaction to this, uh, that 3, 000, three times as many people have already voted as in 2004. Now, even if those numbers are off, and I haven't seen the actual numbers, but even if those numbers are actually off, the voting in these, in these uh, Ohio counties has been extremely high in the, in the African-American communities there. And another thing I just came across today that kind of runs in the other direction, so in Oregon, where all voting is actually by mail, uh, they're, in this, uh, they're finding turnout is down across the board, but then when they look at the counties by, by partisanship, they're finding that the Republican counties are the most depressed and the Democratic counties are, the most, are, are where they're doing, doing the best. But here are some places where I have been watching the numbers very carefully. Uh, because there's a, a website, uh, some of you may be interested if you search for Michael McDonald, who teaches at, uh, at, uh, at uh, George Mason University in, in Washington, has been going to the uh, pages of the secretaries of state in all the states where uh, they're doing early voting. And so you can figure out some interesting things from here. So in Georgia, the total black vote, uh, which I estimated from looking at uh, the exit polls from 2004 of what the racial breakdown was and the total number of votes cast. So in Georgia, the total black vote in 2004 was 918,000. So far this year, 427 African Americans have already voted in Georgia a week before the election. So that's like half the number that voted in all of the 2004 election. In North Carolina, the uh, 2004 total black vote was 767,000. 60% of that number have already voted this year, a week before the election. Now, there are two ways that you can look at these numbers, by the way. Uh, one is that this is just enthusiasm. It doesn't suggest higher turnout. It just means that these are people who are saying, I'm going to get out. I can't wait to do this vote, which I think is part of it. I can't wait to cast this vote. And so they're getting out there very early and they're casting their, their vote. And that suggests that it won't be a very, that it won't have a huge impact on turnout. But I, I think it actually indicates that we're just going to have very high turnout in some of these states. So in states like Georgia, where you know perhaps perhaps it's not going to carry Barack Obama, or it would be pretty amazing to see Barack Obama win in Georgia. But it is making the Republican Senate candidate there sweat an awful lot. In North Carolina, the same thing. You know, this may not be enough to bring Barack Obama over in North Carolina, but it is making Elizabeth Dole very nervous as this kind of turnout is pulled up. And I think even in even in Mississippi. Uh, the Republican candidate may, may find themselves in some, in some difficulty. If this really does indicate higher turnout, which I think is a good chance that it, that it can. Another thing about the early voting, now the reason that these states went to early voting, by the way, was to reduce the, uh, reduce the crowds on election day because they've had so much tr trouble with huge turnout, especially in... Uh, well, they just had huge problems. They've had big problems with huge turnout elections. They happened in 2000, happened in 2000. Of course, this is supposed to alleviate some of the uh, some of the pressure on election day. But even that's going to help some of the Democrats because these problems on election day never really hurt Republicans half as much as they seem to hurt the Democrats. So anything that kind of alleviates pressure in these polls is really to the Democrats' advantage. Third, uh, the third point about why I think Barack Obama is sitting in a nice position is just that he has scary amounts of money, really scary amounts of money. And, you know, he took some heat for going back on what may have been a pledge or may not have been a pledge to accept, uh, to accept government, to accept public financing for the election. But John McCain went ahead and did that. Barack Obama did not. Barack Obama has just raised astronomical sums of money. You've all, you've all seen that. And uh, if you gave once, you've been solicited a hundred times to give, to give again. And he's built up a very, very large base of small donors and some substantial donors as well. So what does that money mean? Well, it means, for example, that in Northern Virginia, 
Barack Obama's running ads constantly, and John McCain is not even on the air because he really can't afford the Washington media market. It means that you have huge disparities in the number of offices that are being set up in some of these states uh, because Barack Obama simply has the money to staff office after office. It also has allowed Barack Obama to run an extremely offense-oriented offense campaign because he can see an opportunity in Montana you know, rush up there, start opening offices and, uh, and running advertisements because he's got the money. He's not, he doesn't have to make the kinds of choices that John McCain has had to make about pulling resources out of one place. So I don't think we've heard one story about the, about the Obama campaign really making a redistributive decision to have to take money out of one place to put it into another. But that has been the narrative on John McCain ever since really Michigan, but there have been many other stories, stories like that. And then, of course, you know, he's buying 30 minutes of TV airtime tonight. Uh, and there have been several, he has just had the opportunity, I think, to make it very hard for John McCain to be heard in these last couple of, in these last couple of weeks. And so that money really matters. And then, of course, it's going to really matter when it comes time to get the vote out because they're able to invest money and get out the vote operations, something which Republicans are very good at as well. So I'm sure they're going to be able to, to do their piece of it, too. But... It puts Democrats in a position on election day. That <coughs> but so what about Pennsylvania, which we've all been hearing is, uh, is, is the key to uh, McCain's, uh, McCain's narrow route to victory. And he really does have a narrow route when you start looking at the states. Now, I mean, one way to look at Pennsylvania, of course, is that Pennsylvania comes into play because John McCain just starts to do much better nationally. The gap closes. And states like Pennsylvania and many red states come into play as that kind of happens. Uh, and then among the industrial states, this is the one that he's located in and is ready to, ready to pounce on. Uh, different poll sites are saying different things about whether the gap has really closed at all. So you've probably seen, I mean, polls came out today still 12, 13 points ahead. But the consensus is that it's probably actually more in single digits right now in Pennsylvania that that the constant presence of the McCain campaign, and there's been a constant presence, and they have been all over the state, has started to make a difference. And that presence will also make a difference in terms of Republican turnout, because that's one thing that rallies really do. So a rally last night for Sarah Palin, I mean, that does energize the base. It does help a good deal on turnout. It helps them collect names and, and numbers. But Pennsylvania has other kinds of, I, I think of as problems for Barack Obama that make this an opportunity for McCain. But I, I say this realizing that I think he has a long way to go here, but, but there are reasons it's, it's an opportunity. The older population is McCain's best constituency. Older whites are really the, the most solid group for John McCain across the country, and in Pennsylvania, we saw this in our Big Ten poll that we did, uh, that we did last week. And uh, this is an older state. The ratio of older to younger voters, for example, in 2004 in Pennsylvania is among the highest in the country. So when you take the older 65 group and put them over the 18 to 30 group. So among the highest in the country and the highest in any of the battleground states other than Florida and Missouri, which are of course two other states that we really see John McCain realizing that he has to win in order to, uh, in order to eat this out. Uh, Pennsylvania has no early voting. And so this, this notion that John said Obama may be, well, first of all, able to increase his turnout with the early voting, but also that he is in effect getting votes in the bank when he's doing very well, <laughs> so that if something bad happens, these people have already voted, they can't really change your mind. I'm skeptical of that, because early voters tend to be pretty committed one way or the other. They're not, they're not generally indecisive. But the fact that there's no early voting means there have been no votes cast, so that just by definition gives them more of a chance than in some of the states where lots of votes have already been cast. Uh, Barack Obama has a real soft spot in states like Pennsylvania. I mean, this is, this is his weakness. And you know, you may remember Barack Obama limped to the nomination, and he took a beating in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, West Virginia. I think he got 25% of the vote against Hillary Clinton in West Virginia. In uh, Kentucky, I mean, he just got thumped. And in Pennsylvania, he spent a lot of time here. I mean, he made a run for it. You may remember that was a very long campaign in Pennsylvania. It was like a six-week campaign. He invested a lot. He did worse than the polls suggested. He did not get the turnout in Philadelphia that he thought he was going to get. He did not get the turnout in the uh, Philadelphia suburbs that he thought he was going to get. Now, that could well be because he didn't have the support of uh, Rendell and he didn't have the support of Nutter, and, and that's important, I think, in those areas. And that certainly uh, 
That's certainly what Barack Obama will tell you right now is, is what went on. But it could also indicate just some weaknesses in this state. And I think he said weaknesses in states with Appalachian populations generally. So this could be uh, in retirement, this could be John Murphy's last laugh. Of course, as Pennsylvania kind of goes this way. Because actually, I, we, now uh, lots of the national money is coming to that Murphy campaign, and they're seeing an opportunity to, uh, to knock him off. So uh, all these things together, uh, how do I put these together? So turnout, money, the polls all suggest a very strong position for Barack Obama. Uh, but the narrow route for McCain through Pennsylvania is not an impossibility because he does seem to be gaining some traction. Uh, there, there are, it is a population that seems to offer him some opportunity. But then a lot of other things have to fall into place, by the way. And uh, I think that what must most be scaring the, camp, the McCain campaign right now is Virginia, where Barack Obama seems, really, there seems to be no erosion of the sort that's going on in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, as I mentioned before, unlike here, where they are on the airways quite a bit, they've virtually ceded large sections of the state of Virginia to Barack Obama. And uh, the voting history in Virginia really suggests that it's moving in a democratic direction. You know, so the election of Jim Webb, uh, Warner's success and popularity, there, there are a lot of indicators that Virginia is really moving in this direction and uh, you can't win without winning Virginia. I haven't really seen a scenario that suggests a, a possibility for that. So I wanted to, to say also a few words about the candidates and the president that perhaps they will be. Uh, and this is, of course, pretty speculative, but I think it's worth paying attention to campaigns. I think we should take them seriously and see what we might be able to learn from these different <coughs> campaigns. So I'll start with John McCain, who I think is the nominee because he's the luckiest man in American politics. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, Obama's supporters should keep that in mind, <laughs> that he is the luckiest man in American politics. If he did not have a field of multiple conservatives in that race, and if he were playing, I think, under the Democratic primary rules, I don't know that he would have gotten this nomination. He got 33% of the vote in New Hampshire. He got 30-some-odd percent of the vote in South Carolina. He only got 30-some-odd percent of the vote in Florida. You know, the vote was really getting split between Romney and Huckabee, and if they did proportional distribution of delegates the way that the Democrats did, I think this would have extended out. I think Romney would have been in this thing for a bit longer. Now, part of what I'm saying this is that, uh, you know, among my basketball buddies, my money was on Romney all along the Republican <laughs> primary. I thought they, I thought he was the obvious choice, actually, because to me, I, the one problem with Romney, of course, is people don't like to vote for him, but... but but other than that, he really, he really had a lot going for him because I mean, the Republicans' problem heading into this election was a very unpopular administration, a very unpopular party label, and uh, the economy was really beginning to, to turn for the worse. And so they needed a candidate. That, now, they had one advantage going. This is the first election since, I think, 1952. I forgot to look this up where in it, a member of the incumbent party was not on the ticket. So what do I mean by that? The president or the vice president was not on the ticket. And if you start going backwards in your head, you'll see that I think you have to get back to uh, 1952 before that, that's the case, where one of the, one of the representatives of the administration was not on the ticket. So this offered them an opportunity here to make a break from this national Republican party. So I thought that said you go with a Republican governor who can just campaign against the National Republican Party. Now, the idea that you know John McCain is a maverick, but you pull any Republican senator out, you're going to find them voting for their president, their party's president 90% of the time. I mean, it's not like John McCain is necessarily all the way at the top end. It's just that's what Republican senators do. And they, so it's always going to be very hard for McCain to prevent himself from getting completely lashed to George Bush. And, you know, it took the Obama campaign a little bit of time to figure this out. Uh, but once they figured it out and tied him to Bush, I thought McCain had just no real way to get apart from it. And because he was basically advocating Bush policies, he was never really suggesting a dramatic break from their public policy. Uh, it put him in a bad position. But I thought there were other pieces to this, too, that were, that were important. He ran a very conventional Republican campaign, and, and he, he never could figure out... Uh, how to move from the Straight Talk Express in New Hampshire to a national campaign. So, you know, the Straight Talk Express was, uh, he, he, he's very good in town hall meetings in, in New Hampshire and some other places. He loved to just talk with the press on the back of the bus. 
Uh, but, but then how do you turn that into a national campaign? So his idea initially, that you may remember, but it was very short-lived, was he was going to break it up into four campaigns around the country. He was going to have four heads in his campaign. And nobody understood what he was talking about. Nobody had any idea what this was about. And he just sort of floundered in this period after, after, uh, Obama, after he won the nomination, but Obama had not. Uh, and then he went and he hired a bunch of people really from the road, from uh, Karl Rove and the Bush campaign to kind of brought the Bush campaign in and even started using some of that same kind of, you know, highly centralized campaign and, and these kind of wedge issues. And, and so that, too, I think, made it more difficult for him to break. Then when he had his last real chance to set himself apart, you know, so in the New Yorker article a couple weeks ago, apparently he and Lindsey Graham really wanted to go with Joe Lieberman. Now, their concern, which I think they were right about, they know better than I do, is that the convention was going to go haywire. <laughs> but a haywire convention would have been the best thing for John McCain because it would have allowed him to break away from the party. Instead, he made a base pick. You know, he picked an outsider, but it was a base pick. And, and so, again, it became more difficult for him, I think, to move away from the, from the Republican Party. So, uh, so what do we learn about this, right? from, uh, about this campaign that may extend on? One is that uh, and I'm hard on John McCain on this, but that claims of experience, claims of all his experience aside, he really shows no evidence of being an effective manager or organizational leader. And I mean, he may have been a great senator, but and I think he's actually developed a very interesting senatorial career. When I put him and Barack Obama up against one another in terms of their success as senators, I, I think John McCain wins by a long shot. He's much more effective, much more interesting, uh, much more policy substantive. I think. Uh, Senator, but boy, he just did not. He just showed no real expertise at running an organization. The campaign went bankrupt at one point. Uh, he set up an organization that didn't meet his goals, didn't reflect his vision. He trusts and consults with very small groups of people, really principally with friends, and so doesn't really know how to take advantage, I think, of, of uh, the expertise and the and specialization that you would develop in a, in a large organization. Uh, I think we're going to see Sarah Palin return to a more traditional vice presidential role, by which I mean she'll have a brief. That brief would be to uh, push, probably work on energy policy, uh, which she's talking about today, I believe, uh, families with uh, special needs children, which she talked about the other day, but not the mold that we've seen really since Mondale of a vice president as, a, as an intricate part of the, uh, of the White House decision-making team and as an advisor for the president. I, I haven't seen any evidence in any of these reports that these two really consult with one another and uh, that he relies on her for, for experience. And in fact, the reports that are coming out of the campaign are exactly the, exactly the opposite. Uh, he may well work well with the Democratic Congress. I think he believes he will. And, uh, and he has shown, actually, I mean, I think the thing about John McCain as a senator is he works better with Democrats than Republicans. And so he'll probably have a Democratic Congress, and he would probably work pretty well with it, although it's hard to see what kind of real strong base of support he's going to have outside of uh, what kind of base of public support that he'll have. But I think the most disturbing thing to me right now about the idea of, of John McCain is that the transition is going to be chaotic. And the New York Times had an interesting story on this the other day. They're not set up, really, for the transition. Now, there are a variety of reasons for this. One is that they, they tend to be very news cycle oriented, and, and they're and they're losing. So, you know, they're running around like crazy trying to win this campaign. But a lot of the people in the McCain campaign don't think they're going to win. And so they don't want to spend time on it. And they, they just have not been looking forward to working with the Bush people. Now, the Bush people have, are very concerned about the transition. The Bush people know two things, a couple of things coming out of 2000. First of all, the, McCain, the Clinton people acted like jerks and, and didn't make their transition any easier. And the, the, Bush camp, the Bush White House now is a much more professional organization. It's not nearly as politicized as it was in the first four years. Uh, the other thing is that they didn't have their national security people in place in September 2001. I mean, they just, it took them a long time to get their transition going, and they are very focused on a smooth and fast transition, especially given the economic problems. And so the Obama campaign has actually been working very closely with the Bush people. They have teams set up and people over there, and, there have been quite a, quite a bit of work going on back and forth in terms of how the transition is going to be set up. And McCain people really haven't done that. And so I think we're in for a kind of chaotic period as the McCain campaign, as the McCain people would try to get up to speed on, uh, 
on the transition. And that doesn't even include the fact that if he wins, it's probably by a small amount. So I heard yesterday Obama's got 4,000 lawyers out there, and McCain has 4,000 lawyers out there. So a close election will not necessarily be decided on that day. We've seen that, you know, we've been down this road before. And that, by the way, was part of the problem with the transition in 2000, is that, is that uh, the Bush is that the Bush people were involved in still trying to win the election all the way through December, and then they had to come in in January. I think the Obama, the Obama campaign is more interesting right now, I think, in terms of, uh, in terms, in part because he's winning, but also because I really think he's offered something new, and I don't think it's really been completely appreciated as to what this might mean for governing. I see the, the Barack Obama campaign as a community organizing meets Howard Dean's 50-state strategy. And, uh, you know, Dean has been ridiculed. Howard Dean is the head of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, he came in talking about a 50-state strategy. We're going to be competitive all around the country. Took a lot of heat from uh, Senate candidates in particular who said, you're wasting money, you should be spending money on us as he's setting up offices in all these states and trying to find candidates in all these states. Uh, James Carville, speaking, I always believe, for the Clintons, referred to the party <laughs> leadership as Rum Rumsfeldian in its incompetence, referring to Howard Dean. For Democrats, of course, those are fighting words. I mean, the Clintons did not buy into this 50-straight strategy, and of course, that's why Hillary Clinton lost, because she didn't compete in all of these states as Barack Obama was picking up delegate after delegate in these caucuses and in these primary states, and Hillary Clinton had the kind of myopic view that had uh, characterized Democrats for many years. It's about Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida. And that's really where she focused, and a little bit broader than that, too, obviously. But, but that was really where her focus was. So I, to the Obama campaign, though, the general election and the primary campaign are, are one seamless campaign. You know, I think it was completely misunderstood when people were upset with how long the campaign was going on. I never saw the Obama people upset at all. I think they thought this was the greatest thing that could possibly happen. And that's because, you know, they go into North Carolina. They went into every state, actually. But they go into North Carolina, right? So they, what do they do? They register voters. They set up offices. They collect emails and cell phone numbers. They meet local officials. And they come back in the general election, and they're all set up to compete. Because they have so much money they can do, and they did this all over the country. This was the 50-state strategy. Obama understood it completely. Barack Obama is all about numbers, and I think this is something that people haven't quite grasped yet. I mean, I hear a lot, I've been trying to figure out how to work this, work this in together with this, but you hear a lot about, well, Barack Obama talks about a new politics, but he's not bipartisan. Because to much of the media, I think, and I think the Republicans help to encourage it, uh, there are two choices, there's partisan or bipartisan. Okay, so either you work with your own party or you work with the other party. And Barack Obama doesn't have quite the record of bipartisanship, say that, say that John McCain does. He's got some. He works on ethics and a couple of other issues. But that, I think that, that actually Barack Obama is thinking about a different kind of politics altogether. And I think it's a politics based on numbers. He has significantly expanded the electorate, at least based on the early registration, registration numbers we've seen and the early voting. He's harvested more cell phone numbers and email addresses than the National Security Agency. <laughs> he has an enormous donor list, and it keeps expanding out. He, uh, he attracts tremendous crowds, and they may mock him for it, but I think he thinks it's very important. So, you know, he gets 100,000 people in Kansas City. He gets 100,000 people in, in St. Louis. Uh, he gets 200,000 people in Berlin. I heard today that the mayor of Chicago is anticipating a million people at the Barack Obama Victory Party, which they're planning in, I think it's High Park, right across Grand, from the, Grand, Grand Park, Grand Park yeah. across from the Hilton. So they're, they're planning on a million people. And I think Barack Obama wants the world and, and he wants the Congress to see a million people at his party because he sees himself as bringing this million people into national politics. So what, is that, what does that mean? I mean, everything about this campaign is about expansion, organization, and mobilization. It's like the community organizer. It's the community organizer. And, and for him, it's community organization on a larger and larger scale. And, and so I think that his community organizing was mocked at his opponent's own expense because they didn't quite get how much this is really an integral part of him. So what does all this mean? What does he do with all these people that he's connected, collected, called, and raised, raised funds from? So on election day, he gets them out. So my, my, my expectation on Tuesday 
is that my students' cell phones will be beeping continuously, <laughs> right, as they keep getting calls. Have you voted? Have you voted? If you voted, have you told your friend to vote? Have you called your friend? Have you texted your friend? The, the McCain campaign does not use cell phones. They don't collect cell phone numbers. Now, one thing we've learned in the poli-sci office when we need to contact students is without their cell phone, we can never find them. Actually, even email doesn't work half the time. You need to have their cell phone to find them. The, the Obama campaign harvests cell phone numbers at every single opportunity that they have. Every opportunity that they have. And those will all be going off on Tuesday. But even after the fact, so when he gets into office, I don't really see Barack Obama as the congressional Democrats' representative in the White House, even though I think the Republicans are very wisely trying to paint him that way right now when they talk about Pelosi, Reid, and uh, Barack Obama. Presidents try to create their own independent power base. Nobody was better than this than Ronald Reagan, who used public support to, to beat Democratic Congresses over the head continuously. And uh, so I, I anticipate all these names and all these numbers and all of this organizational skill will be put to use for that kind of purpose, for persuasion in Congress, for winning in referendums, for elections as he moves on to try to build a party, and in, in, in other ways. So in other words, I think he continues this kind of organization and mobilization once he gets into office. I don't think there's any reason that we should think this is the end. Administrations take their campaign into, into office. We know more about him than that, but although I think that's the most interesting thing about him, from all reports, he's comfortable, more comfortable with experts than with friends. So while I think the you know, like kind of iconic image of John McCain that he encourages is him up there with Lindsey Graham and Joe Lieberman, you know, the iconic image of, uh, of, uh, of Barack Obama is him up there with you know, 25 economic <laughs> experts and 25 foreign policy experts. And from everything I've heard uh, from people that have been involved with this, he really is quite good at running these meetings and picking up information from them. He's not threatened by the information from experts. And he is essentially an empiricist and a pragmatist. And, uh, and so I think he, he works comfortably in those kinds of settings. And it's an interesting piece in the New Republic a while back about how he's been influenced by the behavioral economists of Chicago who are a very empirical sort of economist. It's kind of an interesting, interesting take on him. Uh, and his absence of executive experience aside, he's run a brilliant campaign, and nobody can deny that. You know, I mean, this campaign has just been amazing, amazingly well suited to his strengths and to his vision. Very tight and efficient. Never leaks, ever. They never fight, ever. You know, I mean, remember the remember the Clinton campaign drama all the time, and the Obama campaign. You just never hear a thing. Uh, and it's calm in difficult situations as he seems to be himself. If he loses, I think, the biggest surprise will be how such a good campaign could get beaten by one that, by many accounts, is really not very well run. Uh, and it will be, that will be for political scientists to figure out, I guess, how that, how that actually could, could come about. Because the, the Obama campaign just seems like it's really rolling right now. And the uh, McCain campaign is engaged in all kinds of infighting right now and just doesn't have that same kind of feel. So let me stop there and sort of laid out some things and, and be open to any kinds of questions or comments or disagreements that, that you might have. You haven't said anything. You haven't said anything about kind of foreign policy differences mm -hmm. that might exist between the two. Should they be elected? Yeah. Well, I didn't talk about policy differences actually. I mean, I, I was talking more about how I, I think they'll run their White House. How I think that what I think <coughs> their politics will be, not what their policy will be, and in terms of the campaign, I haven't seen, I think foreign policy was critical to the Obama primary campaign, and I think it was critical to the initial uh, enthusiasm among younger voters with his position <coughs> in Iraq, and I thought it helped him in the primaries a great deal. Um, but from everything I've seen, it's kind of backed out, you know, that it just hasn't been that critical to the campaign that the economy has, uh, has taken over. Obama had to overcome, I think, and it remains to be seen whether he fully has, this kind of hurdle about whether or not he's up to being a commander-in-chief. And I think the debates helped him an enormous amount in doing that. But if you mean in terms of what their foreign policy will be, I think, you know, I go with what they basically said, and that is that Obama would, would pretty much continue what's happening in Iraq right now, which is, <coughs> which seems to be a withdrawal, 
and uh, that well McCain seems a little less interesting. Than that. But I'm not sure what what more you're you're asking. Well, about. given that, that they probably will have a Democratic Congress, <coughs> how effectively could McCain enact his policies? Well, sure. I mean, a, a McCain presidency would. He'd be up against a Democratic can, Congress. Can we bomb Iran, even if he wants to? Well, Commander-in-Chief can pretty much bomb whoever they want. So it doesn't, he doesn't need the Senate's approval to do that. Uh, he will, you know, I think it's I think it's unlikely he'll get this, that Obama will get the 60 votes in the Senate, although I don't put it out of reach, but I think it's unlikely. So the Republicans will have this kind of veto power in the Senate that they, that they have right now. Even with the 60 votes, I think they'll have it because I think they're enough. Democrats that they would be able to get to work. <coughs> but uh, so I don't really see the I don't necessarily see the Congress as critical to what their foreign policy decisions would be would be anyway. I guess is, is one way of saying that. Yeah. Comments on the role of the media in this. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of one one thing that uh, happened last week, where uh, the Associated Press, which has been um, Associated Press has been, uh, in my opinion, quite uh, friendly towards the McCain campaign. And they co-sponsored a poll that showed only one point difference between the two, uh, the two candidates. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at the internals of that poll, they had 44% of, of the sampling uh, self-described as evangelical right. Christians. How does that happen? Is, is there, I mean, do people do polls that are blatantly um, biased towards candidates? Uh, yes, but I don't think the AP is one of them. Uh, now, how did that happen? They could have drawn a bad sample, you know? I mean, it happens. Any pollster will tell you you can draw a bad sample. And uh, 44, I mean, that's a very bad sample. Yeah, I mean, that was, and, and I, I, you know, I, I saw the same, I saw the same stories that, that the, uh, the evangelicals were way too high. The Republicans were way too high. There were too many Republicans in the sample, uh, and that and that poll also really got picked up. You know, Drudge is the best at cherry picking polls. Those of you who look at the Drudge page, he, he loves to find the one poll out there. Now, in all these polls, are going to be these outliers that are either too high or too low, and, and the AP is is a good example of. But it hasn't had, it could be just bad sampling. It could be bad decisions in the weighting that they did. Could be intentional, but I don't think I don't necessarily see the AP doing that. Absent any direct evidence that that's what happened, I'm, I'm not prepared to say that's what happened. You do get bad samples. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I, I was getting to women. Uh, on the polling issue, uh, mm -hmm. where does Pew get all those cell phone You know, I don't know where they get it, but, it, but Pew or the Pew has been uh, Pew is a very good polling house, uh, and so even though this, even though they are thought to be running three to four points too high for Obama. Okay, throughout this period, people think they're running too high for Obama. They have been making the most concerted effort to get at the cell phone effect, which they're estimating at one or two points in favor of Obama, which wouldn't count, quite account for the three, but, but it's in there. I don't know how they do it, actually. I, I think you'd have to go in and read the, read the details on it. It's probably on their, on their webpage. It is hard to get cell phones, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of unease among many pollsters about, about whether you can really do cell phone polling but they are aware that they are missing a lot of people with that cell phone. I mean, a lot of people just don't have landlines anymore, mostly younger. And uh, and then other than that, people just don't use them. So. I had a question back there. Really? Yeah. Um, I have a two-part question. Um, three. <coughs> I'm, I'm not personally on the Republican list for emails. Um, I, first of all, I just wanted to know if they exist. But within the question, I'm wondering how Obama's use of 2008 technology will make a significant difference in this election and after a possible win versus the 2004 election. Um, an example might be information transfer ease, cheaper communications, remote transfers, and campaign remote transfers and campaign information, and an easy distribution of all materials. Right. So okay. that's truly what I'm interested in. It, it, it seems to work. Uh, well, okay, so there are a variety of pieces in there. I think they, 
Let me start with the McCain campaign and say that their, their main use of new technologies has been their ability to get commercials out incredibly quickly and virally. But in terms of interconnectivity of people, they have been behind the curve the entire way along, and I think it's the last campaign we'll ever see like that. Uh, the Obama campaign really picked up where the Howard Dean campaign left <coughs> off in terms of taking a lot of advantage of the internet, also in terms of move on with the, if I remember correctly, the Obama campaign really began with these meetups, uh, maybe through maybe through moveon.org and maybe just independently, but understanding this kind of connectivity that was gonna be possible through the internet. And then they've taken it into, you know, the McCain campaign uses emails too, by the way, but they don't use cell phones, which is something else the Obama campaign has, has been very good at. Other parts of what you're asking about in particular, I'm not sure I'm, Familiar enough to be to really to really address. Yeah, uh, that's what I follow. That, that's why I asked. It's okay. Well, I think it's reasonable to, to follow that down the line yeah. of where this technology um, goes. That's where it's going. That's where I'm going, and that's where political science will probably move, just like everything else. Um, that's an assessment that will probably be made, anyways. Um, and the, the second part of the question is a little easier. What if? Why don't they use? Why don't they use email or digital? Why don't they use email or digital voting? It's possible. It's very easily done. It's just as it's just as insecure as voting in electric polls. Yeah, I think people like going to vote. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a traditionalist like that. I think that there's a certain ritual about voting that a lot of people really don't want to let go of. Now they have. I mean, in Oregon they have. In Oregon, I think it's all done by mail. Uh, and I, I haven't seen any good research on what, how that, how people feel about that and, and what that does to the culture, for example. But I, I think people like to go and vote. And so I, I'm um, skeptical that that would ever go away. Uh, multiple options so that younger well, voters can vote at home if they don't feel like going to the polls, creating a larger turnout? Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of ways to go to larger turnouts. I mean, I think, actually, if you really want to talk about larger turnouts in terms of lowering the cost of people of voting, it's not so much that people can't get out of the house for whom the problem is the least severe for younger people, actually. It's more of an issue for older voters. But moving to, you know, weekend voting, or, or and, and that's what early voting has really done. I mean, our, I think early voting has really made a significant difference in how easy it is for people to get to the polls. And in some states, that early voting is by mail. Mm -hmm. But email, you know, I, I, I see how people react even to these electronic voting machines. Yeah. And there is a lot of unease, and I, I would expect there'd be a lot of unease if we went to something like email as well. Um, <clears throat> do you think that dirty tricks will be stepped up in this last week, and especially in Pennsylvania, do you think that it could play an important role in the outcome? For instance, blatant lies, for instance, the uh, flyer saying that the Republicans or some of their supporters say to Republicans, to Democrats, don't vote on Tuesday, that's strictly for Republicans. You well, that Democrats I, uh, vote on Wednesday. One of my students right. yesterday showed me a handout <laughs> from... <laughs> One of my students yesterday showed me a okay? <laughs> showed me a handout from the Obama campaign, which actually takes on a lot of that. It says if people tell you that you can vote on Wednesday, they're they're wrong. If they tell you, you know, if you're online, stay there. And so, you know, these have been problems throughout. Early voting was supposed to take care of some of it by, you know, the biggest problem is people get there is a long line, and they're told they'll come back another day, that kind of thing. Uh, will that go on? Yeah, I mean, that goes on. I don't see why, why we would expect it not to. I mean, I am struck by the pushback that they got on the push polls, including from their own campaign, you know, because Sarah Palin had something to say about it, and then the senatorial candidates had something to say about it. Uh, and then the media, I thought, was much more attuned to, to the push polls, to the, uh, I said push polls, but to these robocalls, you know, than, uh, than, uh, than they were the last time around. Although the research is actually, doesn't suggest that those robocalls are all that useful anyway. Cell phone contacting is much more effective than robocalls. Uh, and those text messages are something that people actually really respond to. People read their text messages. And uh, so I, I think they're, they're a little behind the curve on that generally. But sure, I mean, the last week could be kind of nasty, I guess, unless McCain decides that that's not how he wants to go. You know, he's, he's running out of time. Actually, there's not not a whole lot of days left to pull new tricks out of the pull new tricks out of the, out of the book. 
Yeah, out of the bag, I guess, the way you picture it. Yeah. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about tracking poles? What are they? Tracking poles as opposed to, uh, say, a few poles. A tracking pole is done every day on a small number of people where the last, usually a three-day rolling average, where the last day is dropped out and a new day is added in. So there would be, say, 600 people in the sample for a tracking poll. 200 interviewed Wednesday, 200 Thursday, 200 Friday, another 200 Saturday, and the 200 from Wednesday are dropped out. And so the tracking polls, Gallup, uh, is probably the best of the track. Rasmussen seems to be getting a lot of good attention this year. There's one in Pennsylvania, I think, morning call. There's a tracking poll. Are very good at picking up trends. Uh, you have to be very careful in the day-to-day -day on them because they're based on very small samples. So sometimes people will say, this is going to be a jump on the third day, but that was on 200 people. And really, it is as few as, as 200 people. As opposed to a, a survey done like our Big Ten poll last week, which was done over the course of four or five days. And uh, gets, so, you know, there were some out today, Quinnipiac, if I got that right, and a couple of others. But they're based, like, on last week on several days where the tracking polls are the most up to the minute. But the samples are the, are the trickier. Um, so you mentioned earlier um, about John McCain um, performing well at town hall uh, format. Um, it seems to be something that he's uh, really into. Um, but the town hall uh, debate or whatever that um, he had with Obama didn't seem to do Work many wonders for him. No, it's a so my so my question <laughs> is my question is um, how does the town hall format change when it's not just one candidate but two opposing candidates? And the second part of the question is how do you think the campaign would have changed if Obama had agreed to do these town hall meetings across the country as McCain had proposed? Yeah, that's that's so on the first part, you know, uh, what a mistake by the McCain people because so the town hall meetings that he runs by himself by himself, you know, are really where he gives people the opportunity, he argues with people, you know, he really engages them directly. There are no rules, there's no event. He just does what he wants. And he's pretty good at it. I, actually, I would say he's very good at it. Uh, but then, they agreed to a set of rules that didn't allow that at all. And I think they had two main mistakes. First, they didn't really appreciate what the two of them would look like moving on a stage together, where I thought the age difference was really exaggerated. And, and Obama's sort of grace and elegance really came through in a way that did not work to Obama's advantage, to McCain's advantage. But the key problem, I, I couldn't believe they agreed to this, is there, you, he didn't allow the interaction. I mean, he agreed to rules that didn't allow him to go back and forth with people. So he really, what he had were just scripted questions coming from people instead of from anchors but in no way was it the kind of town hall meeting that. So that was just, I thought, just one of many bad decisions this campaign made along the way. And I think the Obama people knew it all along that this was this was not a problem. Uh, now, as to those meet, as to those weekly, you know, so it would have been much more difficult for McCain, I think, to make the kinds of attacks on Obama that really worked for them coming out of the convention in particular, if they were up on stage with one another every single every single week. Uh, I also thought, you know, I really, I went back and forth with myself as to whether or not Obama would be wise to take those. I thought that his being on a stage with McCain week after week would help him overcome his biggest problem in terms of credibility, because he's pretty good in these kinds of settings, and it would also exaggerate the whole youth kinds of issues uh, for him. But it would also, I thought, mitigate some of Obama's financial advantages which was to be able to go where he wanted to go, do what he wanted. And the debates, you know, structure your week. You probably noticed that. You know? and, and the Obama campaign, I think, wanted to keep itself more open and fluid. So how it would have gone, I don't, you know, it's, uh, who knows? But I think those are what some of the considerations would have been. It would have been much harder for them to go negative. So maybe it would have been a cleaner campaign, but there may have been other ways to, for them to go about it. I'm kind of a cautiously optimistic about this, but if uh, Obama wins, do you think there'll be kind of, uh, if Obama wins, do you think there'll be kind of in the future uh, reduction in the uh, kind of level of divisiveness in politics and kind of a more, you know, I guess a 50 state approach and, and more people getting involved, or do you think, you know, it'll go back to the way it used to be and nothing will come out of it? 
I think that you would see very hard and partisan opposition to Obama. I mean, why wouldn't you? And, and the Republican Party is going to go through some difficult times, I think, especially in their congressional party. And so there's going to be some, uh, some real fights in that party between thinking more social conservatives, economic conservatives, between, I, actually, I think it's going to, a lot is going to revolve around that vote on the uh, rescue package and Republicans who opposed it and Republicans who supported it. Uh, but in any case, I mean, attacking Obama, I would think, would be the key <laughs> to anything that's going on with the Republican Party. And it's their responsibility. I mean, they're, they're going to be, if this happens, they're the minority party, they're the out party. Their responsibility is to, is to come hard on, on Obama. And you've still got this kind of, uh, you know, this still kind of media presence that I think is, is going to be continuously against Obama, Fox News, which Obama actually has, has pushed back against much harder than any of the other Democrats. Have. I mean, he's made very clear his position that they are quite partisan, and uh, and I think he will continue to push back at them in a way that that we really haven't seen from others. But the the organization, the machinery is out there to continue for a very divisive kind of politics. But on the other hand, you know, I I think that an Obama win could be a very big win. Okay, and I think he. So this is you know I don't want to be odd. But the, uh, the possibility is there that he brings in a lot of Senate candidates, uh, something that really has not happened for Democrats. You know, it's very true right now that, that there, there was a story this morning that the, the very popular gubernatorial candidate for in, in Indiana, Republican, will be in the parking lot of a Sarah Palin rally but will not appear on the stage. This is happening for Republicans all over the place. Democrats, no such problem. They can't wait to get up there with Barack Obama because they see huge coattails. And so I think he anticipates, you know, he could come in with a lot of kind of support that would help to mitigate that, you know, as opposed to this kind of 50-50 sort of politics that we've had a number of years. I think that's a possibility. Uh, and that would, that would work against a highly partisan kind of politics, but you're still going to have this eating away at him, I would think. Yeah. Well, don't you think what might help with, if he brought in, say, Gates, for his secretary of I think he will. defense, and maybe yeah. uh, some other Republican in the Commerce Department or the State Department, so forth. Yeah, that I, might help. I'm sure he'll have Republicans. Up. But you know, they've all had somebody from the other party in there. It, 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 George Bush did the Transportation Secretary, but of course, it's very low profile. Right? <laughs> uh, it's very low profile. But I think I, you might expect Obama to have a much more high-profile Republican in his administration. My, my money would be on Gates also. Uh, at least for a couple of years as a sort of continuity. Uh, certainly not in the economic area, though. Either one's going to get rid of Henry Paulson and, and move on to something, something new. Sure, maybe that helps, and, and you know, his style, I think, helps, uh, which is a, a fairly non-confrontational kind of, kind of approach. Any questions? You talked earlier about um, what kind of like president you thought Sarah Palin would be. Could you elaborate a little bit on the kind of role that Joe Biden would have uh, as vice president? Yeah, so I, I kind of see Biden more in this, I don't, I don't want to say diction, <laughs> but certainly, you know, really in there as an advisor to the president. Uh, certainly, well, I would think on all kinds of issues. So, I mean, what are Joe Biden's strengths? He has a lot more foreign policy expertise than, than, than Obama does, and I would expect he'll be very involved in the National Security Council with those kinds of discussions. Uh, you know, the extent to which he's able to be a liaison to Congress, I, I'm not, not so sure about. You know, he's got, he's well-liked throughout the Congress, uh, but, you know, I've heard him talking about how his experience is that once you're the vice president and when you were a senator, you're just ignored on Capitol Hill. Now, that may be a way of ridiculing a comment that actually Sarah Palin made a couple weeks ago about how she's going to be in charge of the Senate. Uh, <laughs> I, I would think on a personal level that he would actually be an effective envoy into many people in the Senate office. But I, I would see him in this role of Gore, Mondale, Cheney, you know, in an uber sense of being a real advisor and in there with us being president. Are we likely to see the end of uh, public financing of the presidential uh, race? I think we're likely to see the advantage yeah. that Obama has shown this year. Well, the old system is dead. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be a new system. So. This was a system that was seen as in trouble anyway. The, the numbers were too small, for one thing. And you can't run a 50-state campaign on that kind of money. 
And, and in a way, it encourages this very myopic kind of approach to elections. And I think Obama has shown that given the new technologies, you can reach much wider bases of people without having to rely on just, and in part, I think it's because they turned against him, and now they're out supporting Senate candidates who are basically campaigning on the platform.